the Siege of New Hampshire series by McRowland. Book Three, Hunger Season. Chapter 19, Lost and Found. It's all so frustrating, Judy flailed her arms. In one hand, she clutched the small ham radio. I wish I could be up on the ridge. I could probably reach the town farm myself. Not on a night like this, Martin said, without looking up. He pushed the well-burned logs to the back of the wood stove to make room for a fresh log. I just can't stand not knowing, Judy said. I just want to know that Dustin is all right. That's all. That's not asking for so much. I just want to know. I understand. Martin stopped her pacing with a hand on her shoulder. Sometimes all we have is knowing the people and what they would do. Both Dustin and Margaret have been through enough winter storms to know better than to try to walk home during a blizzard like this. They're probably sitting in front of a cozy fireplace eating some warm and salty FEMA meals. You should do the same. Anna scooped out a small bowl of rice and handed it to Judy. Chicken rice duck. With pepper. He's good. The others were seated around the wood stove, eating from their small bowls. Judy frowned into her bowl. I just want to know for sure. It shouldn't be that hard. I've gotten messages to and from Town Farm before. I've been on this silly radio for hours. In the house here, all I can raise is Mr. Murdot up on the top of the hill. He said he relayed my messages to the Emularis on Bell Hill, but nothing after that. I went through two sets of batteries trying to get through. Well, Town Farm might not be able to hear anymore. Martin spoke with a mouthful of rice. They lost their radio, remember? I know, I know. Judy sat on a stool and poked her spoon around in her bowl of rice. It's just not fair. I want to know for certain. He'll be fine, Martin reassured. Oh, sure, he'll be fine. He's always fine. But what about me? Dustin and I haven't been apart since this whole thing happened. You'll be fine, too. Martin tried not to smile and keep a sympathetic, fatherly expression. An odd sound from outside caused everyone to stop eating and look up. It wasn't the same usual walls creaking from the wind. Carlos peeked behind the dark curtains of the bay window. Flashlight on the porch, he whispered. Okay, Martin whispered. You guys know your positions, just like we practiced. Joni, go back by that wall. Everyone got up silently. The person outside pounded on the front door. Ready? Martin whispered. Carlos, positioned high above the door with the Keltec at full extension, nodded. Judy knelt behind the ash bucket, the carbine aimed at the door. She nodded. Anna and Lucas, both with flashlights, stood ready. Okay, lights out. Lucas blew out the oil lamp. Whoever it was pounded on the door again. Martin stood ready to open the door while standing behind it. The high point held at high ready. With the wind howling and the storm noise, there was little point in trying to ask who was there. Martin pulled the door open suddenly, but only halfway. Who are you? Martin half shouted. Anna and Lucas switched on their flashlights. The swirl of snow rushed through the doorway. The visitor raised his arm to cover his eyes from the blinding beams. Uh, Martin, 
Uh, hey, it's me, Nick. Nick pulled back his hood so his face could be seen. Good Lord, Nick, what are you doing out on a night like this? Martin motioned that everyone could stand down. Get in here. Martin pulled Nick in and pushed the door closed. Uh, is Alex here? Nick pushed back his hood. Well, he's not home with you? Nick grumbled some curse words, but was clearly more worried than angry. No, he was up at Town Hall when the snowstorm hit. I'm afraid he tried to walk home in it, but he's way overdue. Did they say that he left? Martin asked. Ah, couldn't radio Gene. Our batteries are all dead. Uh, could you contact Gene and ask? Judy pulled up the radio's antenna and began tuning. Mr. Murdoch, hello, Mr. Murdoch, this is Judy Simmons. Mr. Murdoch, hello, hello. She held the radio up over her head, seining for a signal. He keeps his radio on all the time, Judy said. She put the radio to her lips again. Mr. Murdoch, Judy Simmons, come in, please come in. Gene Murdoch, what's up, Judy Simmons? Could you get someone at Town Hall to ask if Alex Oldham is still there? He's not home. Mr. Oldham is worried. Oh, no. Uh, hold on, Simmons. I sent him to get our salvage papers, Nick said. We were going to work on that burned-out house and the development. It should have only taken a little while. It was so warm out the past couple of days. Uh, he was only wearing his spring jacket. Uh, then all this hit. You think he'd try to walk home in something like this? Martin asked. Nick threw up his arms in frustration. I don't know about that kid sometimes. Yeah, he might. He can be so cocksure sometimes. Simmons House, Murdoch here. Go ahead, Mr. Murdoch, said Judy. Clerk said Alex was up at the town hall when the squall hit. Said Landers tried to get him to stay and sit it out. Oh, my God, gasped Joni. And he didn't make it home? Well, let's not jump to conclusions, Martin cautioned. He could have changed his mind and knocked on someone's door. Mr. Murdoch, Judy didn't need any prompting. Could you ask people between Town Hall and his house if he's with them? His dad is really worried. Will do, but not many have radios. I know. Just do what you can. I'll keep on this frequency. Uh, Simmons out, said Judy. Oh, if he's not at someone's house, Nick cut short his thought. He could be, said Martin. Let's stay focused on that. I'll get suited up and go up old Stockman. You're going out there? Joni asked in disbelief. Well, got to. Nick, you go back to the bend and check the houses up the highway. Martin pulled his snow pants off the stair railing behind the wood stove. They were finally dry. When you get up to Charles and Tyler's place, if he's not with them, have them help. Nick zipped up and set his hood. He hunched over, braced for the wind. When Martin opened the door, he pushed out, as if wading in hip-deep water. Martin pulled on his big parka. He got his schmaw tucked in and tightened so that only his eyes were visible. He put the headlamp on. I'll take one of the walkies. Same channel as usual. Let me know if you hear anything. Carlos, you keep watch with the carbine, just in case. Lucas, get that really bright flashlight. Shine it out my bedroom window toward the road. Do three flashes, then wait a minute. You're going to be my beacon so I can find my way back, okay? Lucas nodded slowly with very wide eyes. Good. Don't just leave it on. We need to make the batteries last. 
Martin added. Anna, you keep the fire going good and hot, okay? With wind like this, the house is losing heat fast. Don't go over 500, but keep it up around 400 degrees. See, si, Mr. Martin. Anna had the same wide eyes. What can I do? Joni asked. You'll be the relief for Carlos and Lucas when they need a break. That'll mean having the carbine when you relieve Carlos. Are you okay with that? Joni looked at the rifle with hesitation. I guess so. Good. I don't have time to brief you on it. Carlos will show you how to operate it. Odds are, no one's going to be out on a night like this. But we take no chances. Someone might just figure people's guard is down on a night like this. Stay sharp. Martin strapped on his snowshoes and pulled on his ski gloves. Okay, Lucas, to the window. Martin pulled open the door and clomped out awkwardly. The porch already had six inches of snow on it. Navigating more from memory than sight, Martin made his way toward the road. The headlamp glare on the thick swirling snow made it nearly useless for looking into the wind. Across the wind wasn't much better. Looking in the direction of the wind offered a few feet of visibility. He knew there was a line of trees across the road, but nothing could be seen. His world was a small ball of light filled with currents of snow. Outside of that small world, it was featureless black. He looked back to where the house ought to be. The three flashes from Lucas were dim and soft, like heat lightning on the horizon. The trudge path up his road was still visible in the headlamp beam, but only in patches where the wind could scrub away the new snow. Behind the unseen stand of trees, the snow was piling into drifts. The dry snow was packed into layers. He could feel it crunch beneath his snowshoes, but could only hear the roar of the wind in the bare branches. After traversing a series of drifts, he came to more bare old snow, but he had lost the trudge path. Sidestepping left, he felt the shallow ditch. Sidestepping to the right, he found the remnants of the path, filled in with fresh snow. He felt smug satisfaction at finding the path right away, when the drift tapered out. His smugness turned into a sinking feeling when the path joined another, becoming a Y. There were no forks in the trudge path on his road. He studied the two forks. The left path had rounded edges. The fork he had been following was just as filled in as the left path, but it had sharper edges. Someone else had come through the new snow. Alex, Martin said to himself. He turned to follow the fresher trail. It led into the low drifts, but the driven snow had filled it in completely. Martin tried to guess its heading. He was close. The trail resumed to his left. He knew he was off the road, but had no real idea where he was. His mind tried to replay images of the landscape along his road, but he couldn't come up with any obvious matches. Was he on the front yard of that blue-gray ranch house? It could be ten feet in front of him, and he'd never know. Was he in that little hayfield beside that horse paddock? Had he gotten close to Walden Street and was marching through the corner house's yard? In the thick swirling snow, at night, there were no visual references. The walkie-talkie, stashed in the back of his hood, crackled with a scratchy message. Judy related that no one reported seeing Alex. Martin didn't want to stop to respond. He was nearly certain that he was following Alex's trail. The broken snow led up to several young pines and veered right. 
Uh, Alex must have gotten off the road, but didn't realize it until he ran into these trees. The trail was hip-deep in places and filled in with fresh snow. Martin was certain that Alex had been through there recently. The trail stopped. Martin looked all around. How could his trail just stop? He has to be somewhere. Martin got his sinking feeling again. He returned to where the trail stopped. He took off his snowshoes and climbed down into the narrow snow canyon. He probed the snow with the tail of his snowshoe. Nothing, nothing, something. He pulled away the snow, digging with both hands. A leg. He dug farther up. Alex had simply lain down, exhausted from slogging through the deep snow. Martin pulled off a glove and felt for Alex's neck. He still had body heat. He was shivering. Ecstatic that he hadn't found a dead body, Martin dug furiously with his snowshoe until he could get Alex rolled onto his side. Alex! Alex! Can you hear me? Martin had to shout over the wind. Alex didn't answer. It's Mr. Simmons! We need to get you home! Alex slumped, limp. Martin had to pull him up. His coat and pants were wet from laying in the snow. Come on, Alex! Let's get you standing up! Martin pulled Alex forward to a sitting position, but he was too limp and unresponsive to stand. Wake up, Alex! You're going to have to help me here! Martin shook him. Alex got up on wobbly legs. Give me another step, Alex. You can do it. Martin had one arm around Alex's waist. His other arm held Alex's hand like the tiller of a sailboat. Guiding him through the deep snow was going painfully slow. Wind gusts nearly toppled them. Martin noticed that Alex stopped shivering. He could feel fear ripple down his back. Alex had sunk to a deeper level of hypothermia. The wind was pulling away what little body heat he still had. Martin stood paralyzed for a moment. He wanted to get Alex home, anybody's home. But at their slow pace, it could take an hour to get any place. Alex couldn't withstand another 10 minutes in the frigid wind, let alone an hour. We've got to get you out of this wind, Martin shouted. You sit down here. Half of you will be out of the wind anyhow. Martin guided Alex into a listing seated position. He then plowed through the snow, making an arc about six feet away from Alex. With his headlamp, he swept the gray, swirling murk, looking for anything useful. A bigger snowdrift might be good for a quick snow cave, yeah, but no drifts appeared. His feeble beam did flash across a short wall of snow. Martin took a few steps through knee-deep snow to check it out. It was a big old hemlock, its lower branches weighted down and now trapped in the snow. He knew that beneath the branches would be a small shelter from the wind. Martin rushed back as fast as the deep snow allowed. This way, Alex, I found us something. Martin pulled him by the shoulders, dragging him across the snow in jerks and tugs. He ducked down and pushed through the hemlock boughs on the leeward side of the tree. The snow was much thinner beneath the tree. Okay, Martin panted. You rest here. At least it's out of the wind. I'll be back. He adjusted his headlamp and hood and pressed back through the boughs. He followed his trail through the drift to retrieve his snowshoes. Using one of them as a shovel, he tossed snow onto the hemlock boughs, making a more complete wall. While scooping on the backside, he saw another hemlock, perhaps ten feet away. 
he broke off several fronds to add to the snow teepee he was building. Beyond the second hemlock, he spotted the bare branches of a dead pine. He studied the positions of the two other trees, trying to imprint their positions in his mind. I'm back, Martin announced. I brought us some hemlock branches so we don't have to sit in the snow. He rolled Alex to one side and laid several branches down. Alex was shivering again. Hey, that's a good sign, eh? Just getting out of the wind was a big help. Yeah, but what we need is a heat source. Martin stripped off all the dead branches from the trunk of their shelter tree. Phew, I'm getting warm working in here, Martin said. He didn't expect Alex to respond. How about if I take off your wet jacket and you wear my parka? It's too much for me in here. Taking off Alex's jacket reminded him of undressing his kids when they had fallen asleep in the car on a long drive home. He draped his parka around Alex's shoulders and put the hood over his head. Yeah, this ought to help. He hung the wet jacket on the stub of a branch. A couple of feet away from the hemlock's trunk, he scooped the snow away down to the needle-littered ground. Yeah, we need a fire. He felt like Tom Hanks talking to Wilson. There were plenty of spaghetti-thin twigs for tender. He held his lighter beneath a bundle of the thinnest twigs. They sputtered and flared into flame. He shut off his headlamp. The light was getting dimmer, and he needed to save what was left of the batteries. He inserted the flaming twigs into a teepee of bigger twigs. They smoked uncooperatively. He fed more little twigs in to keep the little fire alive. Eventually, the bigger twigs caught fire. Hey, there we go, he glanced at Alex, as if expecting appreciation. But Alex simply rested on his side, eyes closed, teeth chattering. I'm going to have to take back that parka. Need to get us some bigger fuel. These branches won't last long. He took off his wool sweater and draped that over Alex. The parka alone wouldn't be enough protection against the wind, but he imagined that body heat would make up the difference. He clicked on the headlamp and climbed out of their shelter. He could see sparkles of yellow light showing through the sides of his shelter. Eh, gotta patch those holes when I get back, he thought. The headlamp's beam was less bright, but he could follow his trail of torn-up snow back to the dead pine. The larger branches, about shovel-handle diameter, broke off when he hung off of them. They would need more fuel than that, but it was a start. Before going back, Martin packed snow onto the sides of his shelter, wherever he saw flickers of yellow light. Mr. Simmons, said Alex, so cold. Hey, you're talking. Well, that's a great sign. Here, you can have the parka back. I'll take that sweater. I brought us some more branches. I'll need to get some more, but also need to get warmed up a bit first. He laid three branches across the little fire so that they could burn in half. Alex had moved very close to the fire, trying to warm his hands and legs. Where uh, are we? Not sure. I followed your trail off-road, but I'm not exactly sure where. The wind got so cold, got so tired. You need warm liquids to get your core warmed up. Here, watch this so it doesn't roll into the fire. Martin filled a plastic bag with snow and set it near the flames. I'm going to let them know I found you. Martin pulled his walkie-talkie out of the parka pocket. For over an hour, he heard Judy say. The reception was poor and scratchy. 
he pressed the mic key to tell them the good news. But when he did, the display light went dim. Hello, Base 99, this is Fowler. Do you read me? No one has heard from him either, came Jean's voice. I'm afraid he's lost out there too. Martin knew Judy's voice well enough to hear the seeds of panic. Nah, the batteries are too low to transmit, Martin told Alex. Maybe we can get one last shot. He took the batteries out and stuffed them into his front pants pocket. If I warm them up, we might have just enough for some click transmissions. Let's see. It's 8.30 now. Judy will be on and monitoring at 9 for sure. I'll try then. In the meantime, I need to go out and get more wood. He zipped up the parka and pushed back out into the night. Martin climbed the dead pine as best he could in snow pants and parka. The stubs of the branches he had broken off provided handy pegs. The wind buffeted him and swayed the pine. Martin rocked the eight-inch diameter pine, hoping to break it. He knew there were no trees to the pine's lee. Success didn't feel like success. The tree did break, but far below him. He tumbled over backwards. The fall through featureless blackness felt eternal. He had hoped the snow would have cushioned his landing more than it did. He landed on his back and shoulder. The broken pine was nowhere to be seen in the dim headlamp glow. He pawed at the snow left and right, forward and back. Finally, his glove struck the fallen tree. He had his prize. But now where to take it? There were no landmarks to navigate by. Reasoning that he had fallen with the wind, he walked into the wind, dragging his treetop. He found his trail in the snow and followed it back. In the shelter, he pulled the broken pine across the fire to burn it through. Most of the pine stuck out of the shelter. Oh, that was harder than I thought it would be, he said. I drank that first bag of warm water, Alex said. I feel better. I've got another bag melting. He held up the bag, half full of slush. Now let's try that radio again, Martin said. He held the batteries in his armpit for several minutes to warm them more. It's nearly nine. He switched off the display light to save power. This is base 99, on air at the top of the hour. Judy's voice sounded resigned. Martin clicked the mic key three times, slowly. What? I mean, is that you, Mr. Simmons? Martin clicked three more times. Oh my God, it is you. Where are you? Are you okay? Why can't you transmit voice? Are you hurt? Oh my God, Carlos, come here quick. Come on, Judy, Martin muttered to himself. Remember what we practiced. No open-ended questions, only yes and no. Mr. Simmons, are you okay? That's better, Martin grumbled. He clicked the button three times. Okay, 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 good, good. Um, can you get home? Martin clicked the key twice. Oh, why not? Oh, I mean, wait. Uh, are you okay where you are? Martin clicked three times. Oh, good, okay. Uh, did you find Alex? Martin clicked three times. Is he okay? Mr. Oldham is here now. Martin looked at Alex, who smiled as he sipped from the bag of warm water. Martin clicked three times. I, I assume since you're clicking the mic, you don't have enough battery. Martin clicked the mic button, but the radio didn't make a clicking sound. We'll come. Morning. Need any? Only soft white noise came from the radio.
Looks like we might have milked all we're going to get from these batteries, he said to Alex. We can hike back in the morning, assuming the snow is let up enough to see. It's going to be a long night. We can take turns dozing, making sure the other guy doesn't roll into the fire. You look beat, so you go first. Alex scooted closer to the little fire. Martin draped the parka over Alex's shoulders. Sleeper gets the blanket. I'll wake you up in a couple of hours. Martin snapped awake. He heard something. Gray daylight filtered down around the trunk of their hemlock shelter. It was morning. He heard the crunch of snowshoes on the dry pack. He poked Alex with his boot. The fire between them had burned down to a few embers amid the gray ash. Hey! called a distant voice. I found the tracks again! They lead this way! That sounds like Charles, Martin said. Guess someone came looking for us. Judy probably told everyone that we were lost in the snow. Another voice sounded more distant. That sounds like my dad, said Alex. Guess we'd better tidy up the apartment, eh? Martin said with a wink. We're having company over. Martin took his parka back from Alex. He set his snowshoes outside the hemlock shelter and emerged into the bright of the morning. Can you guys keep it down? Martin called out. Trying to sleep here. Alex peeked his head through the snow-crusted fronds. Hey! Charles held his arms out wide. There you are! Over here, guys! They're both okay! Of course we're okay, quipped Martin. Can't guys do a little camping? Not when you get that daughter-in-law yours all worried. Charles gave Martin a gloved fist bump. I tell you, glad she wasn't my drill sergeant. Relentless. No one was going to sleep until you guys were found. "'Alex!' shouted Nick as he plowed through the waist-deep drift before the woods. Father and son shared a long hug. Yeah, Alex got a little turned around in the dark and the snow. The wind was too brutal to hike back, so we just opted for some extreme camping. Right, Alex?' Alex paused, then smiled, recognizing that Martin skipped over the part about him nearly freezing to death. "'Uh, yeah, camping seemed safer.' Well, we travel light, Martin said. We're packed and ready to go. Nick and Alex retraced the semi-cleared canyon path back to the road. Martin and Charles followed along on the top of the drifts. At the Simmons driveway, Alex and Nick waved over their shoulders as they continued on. Charles waved, too, before veering right up the meadow path. As Martin approached his house... He saw Trevor and Andy digging the snow from the door of their shed. Andy used a small saucepan. Trevor used a plastic box. Hey, what's up there, Mr. No, sir? said Andy. Oh, we almost got this clear enough to open the door. Yeah, we had to climb out a window. Couldn't push the snow with the door. How are you standing on top of the snow like that? Trevor asked, with a seriously furrowed brow. I tried walking back to get some more sticks. I sank like a stone. Snowshoes, Martin lifted one foot. What? That looks like tennis rackets. Well, whatever you say, Trevor, but it keeps me on top of the snow. Oh, I gotta get me a pair of those. Might like to do some of that snow-walking stuff. You can try Margaret's on. See how you like it. I gotta get inside now. You guys okay otherwise? Oh, we just need to get us some more solid fuel rods, said Andy. Got all the water we need right outside our door. Martin was amused that he could snowshoe up the gentle slope to his back deck. 
The snow had covered the stairs. He saw Lucas's face at the back door window for just a moment. Seconds later, the door flung open. Carlos, Anna, Lucas, and Judy all stared with worried eyes, but big smiles. You're okay, Judy said at last. They found you. Martin stood on the snow, looking down at the four. Uh, could I come in now? They bumped into each other, trying to get out of the doorway. Martin clomped down onto the floor, turning awkwardly to get his snowshoes inside and the door closed. They all began asking questions at once. Even Anna asked questions, though they were in Spanish. No, we didn't almost die, said Martin, as he bent over to unstrap his snowshoes. Alex is fine and home with his family. He got a little lost, is all. We had a fire. Yes, we slept fine. Yes, I'd like some pine needle tea. And yes, I'm very hungry. I was so worried about you, said Judy. I was like the only family member left, and everyone was looking to me to be the leader, and I don't like to feel like a leader, but they kept looking at me and asking questions, so I stayed on the radio telling anyone who was on that you were lost in the snowstorm, and that then when you responded with clicking, I was so excited that I nearly, well, I was really excited, and I wanted to tell everybody that you were okay, but the batteries were really getting low, and I couldn't even get Mr. Myrdot, and... Whoa, Judy, Martin held up his hands. Take a breath. Un poco de pino frito, said Anna. Harrius Italianus. She handed Martin a plate with a handful of thin brown strips. He was hungry enough to eat cardboard. Even plain pine fries would have been a treat. Here is a cup of tea, said Carlos. We had to recharge the radio batteries again last night. But the car battery, she was no more in here. The tin man is at Walter's house, so we have no way to recharge them. That's okay. Martin said, after a long sip. The hot liquid felt good. It wasn't particularly flavorful. Pine needle tea barely had a fragrance, let alone a taste. Nonetheless, it was a source of vitamin C and warmth. He finished his pine fries and tea, seated in his comfy chair near the wood stove. Were you uh, able to reach Dustin at the town farm? Martin asked. He didn't like that Margaret was trapped there instead of in her home. All of the other snowstorms they had weathered, they were together at home. Yet he felt a calmness, knowing that she was sheltered and had her son for protection, although he wasn't certain which of them was more fiercely protective of the other. No, Judy half stomped her foot. I tried all night, too. Mr. Murdoch could reach Wilson Hill and Bell Hill, but no further. Walter wasn't running his big transmitter, so we never reached him. Bell Hill said they heard the Scots and other families in South Farms were okay, but no one heard anything from Town Farm. I'm sure they're okay. I know what you said, Judy continued, and yes, I know Dustin knows his way around blizzards, but I really can't stand not knowing. What if he was hurt or something? Martin was going to ask her why it was that women always fretted about their loved ones being hurt. He decided not to ask. She was in no mood for philosophicals. We went through every battery in the house that would fit into the ham radio. For a while, we were able to charge a set back up using the car battery. But come morning, the car battery wasn't charging the little ones anymore. I guess it was too low. Now I have no news whatsoever, and it's driving me crazy. She held up the little radio in a white-knuckle fist, as if strangling it. Take it easy. That's still Walters, remember? She flailed her arms in exasperation. But what good is it now? Tell you what, 
How about I take the car battery over to Charles and Tyler's house? Maybe they can run their truck and charge it up. Oh, that would be so awesome. I'll go with you. I'll get my coat. My boots are... Hey, hold on. Martin grabbed her by the wrist. Not right now. We need to dig out a little around the house first. When was the last time someone fed and watered the chickens? Uh, I don't know. That's what I thought. They're probably starved and their water's frozen solid. How about you and Lucas clear off the back deck, at least four or five feet clear around the door? Carlos, would you and Anna clear off the front porch? You can use that red square shovel. I'm going to use the gray one to dig the path out to the coop. Fortified with pine, Martin shoveled off the back steps. The back walk and the patio were easy. The wind had blown most of the new snow away. The problem was that the wind had deposited most of it around the chicken coop. He was working up some body heat, shoveling his snow canyon to the coop. Park a hood off, front unzipped, he was still hot. A drop of sweat dripped into his eye. When he opened up the coop door, all of the chickens stood around in a semicircle, staring up at him. He imagined their little chicken brains thinking, Oh, thank God, we're saved! In reality, they were probably just curious who was coming through the door. Yeah, just like I thought. Martin spoke to them like children. Poor things. Your water bucket is frozen solid. And look at that. Your food hopper is really low, too. I'll have Lucas come out with some fresh water and some food. You like Lucas, don't you? Martin smiled, remembering how relieved Susan was when Lucas volunteered to take over the chicken chores. She tried to put a brave face on, but something about chicken feet still got to her. Do you think this will be enough? Carlos asked. He peered into a five-gallon bucket of wood chips. Yeah, maybe not, but it'll help. Martin strapped the bucket to his improvised toboggan. He checked the straps, holding the car battery. Carlos raised the garage door. Martin stepped out onto the ramp that he had carved into the snow. The plywood toboggan trailed behind him, secured by ropes attached to Martin's hips. Hey, Martin! Trevor waved with his hatchet in his hand. He held an armful of craggy broom-handle-sized sticks trimmed from the brush pile. These tennis rackets work great! Trevor did a little jig to show off his new snowshoe skills, but he started to drop his sticks. Oh, man! Martin chuckled and shook his head as he trudged down the driveway, pulling his load. The trip up and over the meadow was a little less effort than he expected. The toboggan slid easier on Charles's previous snowshoe trail than it did in fresh snow. The air had a cold bite on any exposed skin. But Martin was working up body heat trudging up the hill. He had to unzip his parka and toss back the hood. Mrs. Hendrick greeted Martin with a big hug and an oat biscuit. Charles was happy to fire up the gasifier and run the truck engine to charge Martin's battery. He had planned to run the truck sometime that day to charge up their own household batteries. The startup process had become a routine for them that required no words. Everyone knew the tasks and their order. Despite the smooth routine, it took some amount of time from a cold chamber to a running engine. There was no instant on fire for gasifiers. Charles pinned the throttle to provide a steady 1,500 RPMs. Jumper cables connected Martin's battery on the toboggan to the engine. Charles plugged his radio into the cigarette lighter. Hey, Hilltop, this is Charles Hotel. You there, Hilltop? Charles looked up from the radio. Yeah, we ran down all our batteries last night. 
with the search for Alex and then you. Same at our house. Nick's too, Martin said. Charlie Hotel, this is Hilltop. Glad to hear you boys are back online. Got news that Fowler and Junior were found okay? Over. Roger that, Hilltop, Charles said. Got Fowler right here with me, as a matter of fact. Excellent. Got a bit of news for him. Someone from Town Farm made their way to the dairy this morning. Dairy's radio only reaches Walter. Walter relayed to me. Folks doing okay at farm. Tell Martin, Mrs. Simmons has been helping the young folk deal with being snowed in. They hope to have a path dug to the dairy by tomorrow. Robert and Jen say they'll have the team and buckboard dug out today. Plan to make runs tomorrow to town, dairy, town farm, and North Pond. Thanks, I'll top, Charles said. Martin was pleased, if not overly surprised, to hear that Margaret was doing just fine. He figured as much. She was no stranger to winter storms. Hold on, hotel. Something's coming in up the road. Driving by. Oh, dang. Did not see whatever that was. Vehicle of some kind. Coming your way. Roger, Hilltop. I hear it now. Out. Martin, in the truck, and Charles behind it, had their guns at low ready. The deep, throaty engine labored down the hill. A dark green Humvee pulled into view from behind the trees. It was partially obscured by a bright spray of snow from a small wedge plow rigged up to the front. It stopped in front of the Hendricks' house. Cutch, Charles said to himself. Hey there, Hendrick. Cutch stood on the door sill of the Humvee. Looks like you found the right house. I'd know that ugly truck anywhere. Cutch laughed. Tyler home? Uh, yeah, but what are you? Tyler stepped out of the front door onto the porch. Cutch, you crazy man. What are you doing out here? Just following orders, uh, sort of, said Cutch. Governor orders some units to do a partial plow to main roads. Make sure every town had at least one way clear. We volunteered to clear from Hampton down to Nashua. Manchester's only got a couple of inches. Nashua, too. Snow's not too deep farther inland. I guess this was more of a coastal storm. Figured we'd get you boys plowed out, as long as we was this close. Um, my mother wants you to come inside and eat hot oat biscuits. Mrs. Hendricks stepped onto the porch, pointing to a tray, held high in her other hand. Cutch laughed. I'd love to, but this detour's got us a bit late. Gotta get down to, uh... Cutch unfolded his map. South Road, through, uh, Nutfield, Londeville, and beyond. Glad you boys is okay. Maybe stop by on the way back for those oat biscuits. Cutch ducked back inside with a wave. The Humvee made a slow turn in the Hendrix's circular driveway. In addition to the small wedge plow mounted high on the front, the Humvee pulled a trailer with a wider wedge plow. It looked like a farm implement on steroids. The Humvee's tires each had big jangling chains strapped to them. The whole assembly didn't clear the road the same way the highway department plow trucks did. Instead, it provided less deep canyons through the higher drifts. The tire ruts would make handy footpaths. The snow between the ruts was only knee-deep. Friendly. So, the buckboard's making its rounds tomorrow, said Charles. That'll be good. Yeah, Martin nodded. I'll go get Margaret and Dustin. I bet they'll be glad to get home. 
Okay, I know I said after chapter 6 in book 2 that I didn't want to get into doing full sound effects like that orchestra and such. But just the narration for the blizzard felt so, I don't know, flat. Adding some howling blizzard wind wasn't all that much extra effort. But what did you think? Did you think it helped, or was it distracting? I can always cut it out before that chapter goes into the audiobook. Let me know what you thought. Thanks, too, for the messages, comments, and interactions from my Buy Me a Coffee supporters and members, including the now-famous Steve. Feel free to speak up if you want. I always appreciate hearing from you.